Okay. Well, you know, I like to uh, start with a proverb. So today, being the 20th, we get one out of proverb, Proverbs 20, verse 18. Get, uh, get good advice and you'll succeed. Don't go charging into battle without a plan. <laughs> so we've been talking here for the last several weeks about the Lord's will and the Lord's plan for our life. The asking ourselves the question, is there something more to life than just eating, sleeping, going to work, getting up, eat, sleep, eat, work, sleep, something like that, in some sort of over and over. Is there something more to life than just doing that over and over and over again? Or, do, or is there a possibility that the Lord has, has something specific, that, he, that as he was crafting you in your mother's womb and all the days of your life, there is something specific that he had planned for you? Is it possible? You know, I encourage you to pray the prayer. Um, God, is there something you have planned for me? Show me your plan for my life. How to be a good employee. How to be a good employer. How to be a good grandparent, a good boss, a good son, a good daughter. And I think that uh, you will see what you look for. If you're looking for something, you have a chance of seeing it. And, you know, the, we, we, we also taught and, ha- and believe here that the Lord is a great communicator. He wants to share this with you. It's not like he's got this secret and you've got to try and figure it out, and he, it's up to you whether you catch it or not. The Lord wants you to know his will for your life. Uh, we've talked about the fact that the Lord has several types of will, his, his moral will, his sovereign will, and his personal will for you. That, that His personal plans for you, his personal will is always, 100% of the time, going to be tucked within his moral will and his sovereign will. You'll never find his will for you is outside of those two issues. And I'm not going to reteach those. Those are on old messages that you can get for free. They're on the website. The Lord has placed his thumbprints upon you. Psalm 139 talks about the things that the Lord was thinking and doing when he crafted you in your mother's womb. It's uh, the words, the words describing there, uh, described very intricately, little fine multicolored threads that the Lord was using to build you, who you would be in your mother's womb. The Lord put some thumbprints upon you. Those thumbprints are clues for you. They give you some indication about what the Lord plans for your life. Why would he put in you the ability to stand in the batter's box and hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball if he didn't want you to stand in the batter's box and face the bat, hit, the, hit the ball? I mean, why would he give you the musical inclination if he didn't want you somehow to step into and lean into those giftings? So his thumbprints upon you are clues about his plans for you. And then we found the Apostle Paul saying that we're to fan the flame. That the, Lord, that, that the Lord's gifts are. So we should know those gifts and we should leverage our opportunities. I, I, um, I asked you last week to, to fan the flame. And one of the things I said to do was, here's one way you can do this. And I gave you a survey, go on the church website, and it would link. Way to go, church. I can tell you that on Sunday and Monday last week, that um, the traffic to the site, and specifically to that page, was something more than the entire church the visits are that happen over two, two, to two, two to three weeks normally occurred within that day and a half. So way to go. I think you looked and you listened and you, you it's not too late, by the way. The link is still there and it's a fun, um, fun five minutes it'll, is all it will take you to kind of get some clues about the, the way the Lord has put into you your gift mix. It's a lot of fun. Um, so today I want to get a little bit more specific. We're going to do that as we, as we go the next couple of weeks and we get to the conclusion of this series, which we're not there yet. Okay, but today I want to get specific and I want to put this, a lot of this in the context of your employment. 
God, what's your plan for me in, my, in the context of where I work or where I'm unemployed or where my career is taking me? Now listen, if this doesn't seem relevant to you, just listen along. I'm sure the Holy Spirit will have something in here for you as well. Okay? But, I wanna, but my comments I want to say right now are within the context primarily of employment. But let's just assume that, that it will have other application as well. When I was um, finally able to um, become semi-responsible on my own, I remember my dad said to me, go get a job. <laughs> and, you know, there wasn't any discussion where we sat down, he and I, and said, okay, let's, let's figure out how we're going to explore the Lord's will for your life, Terry, and um, what kind of a job you should get. And so when there was none of that. He just assumed that it was God's will that I have one, okay? So go get a job is what he said to me. Go get a job. And I have to say, I didn't spend this long quest of trying to say, okay, Lord, Psalm 139, what did you put into me? I mean, I, I wasn't there yet. Okay, just a teenager. Um, my, I just knew that my fathers told me that I needed to go get a job. In fact, we weren't thinking the context of the Lord's plan for my life, but somehow my father knew I needed to go get a job. Any parents here have kids, you know that that's the appropriate thing at some point. And I think, obviously, as a parent now, I can look at parenting differently, and I understand things now that I had no concept about back then, right? But I, I know now my father was planning to have some things taught and put into my life. Go get a job. He knew that if I did that, I was going to be learning some things that would become life skills for me. Things that I would, that, you know, that he maybe he just wanted me out of his hair. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> but I know he was being wise, and he said, go get a job. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the, where you start out is a guy where, you know, I was mowing lawns and shoveling sidewalks. I grew up in Spokane, and shoveling sidewalks was actually lucrative business. For 25 cents, you could shovel a sidewalk, you know. <laughs> and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you go to get, you know, and they actually take your Social Security number, and they take taxes out of your, you know, um, a real job, you know, where, where you Caesar gets what Caesar's. And so I got this job, and I was working in this warehouse, and it was a large um, organization, and I worked in this warehouse, and the first thing I was doing was unloading pallets of paper, or you know, boxes of paper. with 10 reams in a box. They're heavy, and I was stacking them up as high as I could get them, and I'm tossing these boxes up, and I was working hard and just doing this, doing this work. And the warehouse I was in was kind of organized. It wasn't really well organized, but it was kind of organized, so I just kind of started organizing it. I mean, it's amazing how a teenager has the ability to go and organize something, but their own bedroom is a disaster. <laughs> and so I, I, I was organizing it, and the people who employed me started noticing that I had some organizational skills, and pretty soon they moved me from just doing that, I started delivering some of these supplies to different places because I could keep track of who and plan a route that would get me there efficiently and I could do it in less time than the last guy had been doing it. So they let me do that for a while. And pretty soon they pulled me back in. And um, instead of organizing my own route, I started organizing other distribution because this was a distribution center for a school district. And a lot of schools were getting their stuff. And so I, all of a sudden, this teenage kid, I was kind of doing quite a lot of stuff. And then pretty soon, I wasn't just doing that, but I was, you know, making decisions and, and organizing things for you way beyond what a high school-aged kid should be doing. I mean, there were just was something that they discovered something about my temperament and my gift mix, and I'm going from one opportunity to another one in this. Now, I know I learned some things that were really valuable as a 16, 17-year-old kid in those jobs. 
I mean, I'm interacting with people who were not my family. They didn't have to like me if they didn't want to. They didn't ha- it wasn't church, so they didn't have to be nice to me if they didn't want to. <laughs> Just like at your job, right? So I learned some really valuable lessons. I didn't stay there forever. Um, I, you know, things went on. And then I ended up in another job a little bit f- later. And I'm, I'm doing this busboy dishwasher thing. And it wasn't really the job I was looking for. It was the one that was available, so I was doing it for a while. And it was just, you know, you, when you're that age, you take jobs because you want money. I think that's always why you take jobs. And um, <laughs> these people were mean to me. I didn't understand why they were treating me the way they did. They were mean to me. They talked with me mean. They, were, they didn't appreciate me. They just, and then one day, they let me go. Why were they letting me go? They, um, they had a son who was about my age, and I think he had been a lot of trouble in their household, and he was gone, and he was coming home, and they wanted to keep him tucked in close to home. And so they made a place for him at their employment, which is, of course, their option. They owned this business. Made me feel bad. It helped me understand a little bit about why they had treated me the way they had. They were displacing some of their anger, I think. And... So they let me go. And about two weeks goes by, they call me up. It didn't work with their son. It blew up worse than it had been before. They felt really bad. They really wanted me back. Um, I hated that job. Anybody here ever had a job you really hated? This is time to raise your hands. You can s- <laughs> have you ever had a job? Oh, come on. Okay. So a lot of us have, and the others just haven't admitted it to themselves. <laughs> but here's some things that I learned about the Lord's guiding within the context of work. And I gave you those early in my career examples. I could give you more recent examples, but those were maybe better. Um, Is that God often guides through our current circumstances, guiding us towards future circumstances. He often uses our current circumstances. Now, I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but we have a tendency, if we've been a Christian for a long time, or maybe you're brand new, and we're in a circumstance where we need the Lord to guide us about employment. We have a tendency to say, okay, God, I need you to miraculously fill in the blank, open the door, do this X, Y, and Z. We have a tendency to want to see skywriting. We have a tendency to want to see a flaming sword in the hand of an angel saying, you shall open this door for my son, Terry. You know, <laughs> That's what we look for. We have a tendency to do that. The problem is, that's not usually how God works. Anybody here ever get a job interview because an angel preceded you with a flaming sword? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to suggest that the supernatural hasn't happened. We're going to come to that in a couple of minutes. But that's not usually how the Lord works. At least it hasn't been for me. Haven't had a lot of angels showing up. Haven't had a lot of that kind of flash and smoke. That makes me think, that because he uses our current circumstances, the way we behave, the way we conduct ourselves in our present circumstances is extremely important, even if you hate it. Even if you hate it. Because God guides us through current circumstances to connect us to future opportunities. You know, um, you and I have an insight about life that's different. We have a worldview that God is involved in intervening in our circumstances, and that's true, and it's, it's, it's true. But the world doesn't view it that way. The world has a more simplistic view about, about tomorrow. They really already have a, have a handle on the fact that today's circumstances will provide opportunities for tomorrow's uh, 
for, for where we're going to be tomorrow. They already have that sorted out. They're, they're, the, the reason that I'm wanting to stress this issue is that if you're there or you will be there at some point, I don't want you to miss out on God's path because you're only looking for the supernatural rather than just the simple. So I want to talk a minute about the supernatural because I've seen that happen in my life too. And I've seen it happen to people around me. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, but the thing is this. God doesn't only raise dead people. Sometimes he's also just found in the common everyday things of life. In fact, he's more frequently found there than in the raising of the dead. Statistically, you have to agree with me on that. I mean, um, okay, I'm going to give you some examples of where the Lord, where scripture will line this up. You've probably heard of a prophet named Elijah. Um, Elijah was told by the Lord, go lay by the brook and I'll take care of you. And he drank water from the brook and he was fed by ravens. That's pretty wild. He's laying there drinking water from the brook, which is a completely common, ordinary source of provision. And he was fed by ravens. Birds would flow up or show up with food to hand over for lunch. That's supernatural. I don't know about you. I haven't had any bird deliveries lately. That's definitely supernatural. So at the same time, the Lord was providing for Elijah with both the absolutely simple and ordinary. The brook was flowing and bringing the water that he would die without it. And the extraordinary, the the miraculous coming by way of a raven, both of them at the same time. Then the water dried up. The brook dried up. Now, that happens to us sometimes. The Lord will dry up a common everyday source of provision in your life. That's when we feel put upon, and that's when we start asking these these questions. That's when we kind of start to squirm a little bit within our hearts. When the Lord withholds miraculous intervention and lets your brook dry up, he has something else planned for you, and it can be found in the ordinary. You know, I was thinking about that a lot. That's the moment that most of us will go, God, don't you love me? What'd you do this to me for? Don't you know I was drinking this water? Why is my brook drying up? And we start to feel put upon. We start to feel unloved. We go, we go, um, we go down this trail. You know, this, I'm, I'm going to step off now for a rabbit trail and say this is not so much just about career, but this is about relationships. Sometimes we'll be in a relationship and something goes sideways that we didn't make it go sideways. We don't know how. And now we're brokenhearted about it. And we want to say, God, don't you love me? God, where are you? And I'm feeling hopeless and I don't know what to do. And some of the things that I'm thinking about doing, gee, I don't know that they're going to take me someplace positive. There's all kinds of ways that we get our little toes off the rails here. But just because the ordinary provision has dried up doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't love us. There could be lots of things going on there. So I caution you about jumping to conclusions about the heart of God in those moments. Because I know the Lord still loved Elijah. He ends up sending him somewhere else. Elijah learned at that point that he needed to go find out what was the Lord was going to do. There's another opportunity somewhere not too far away. You know, seeing the Lord at work in the miraculous, that's easy. I mean, you don't engineer it. You just happen to see it somewhere and you realize, wow, the Lord's miraculous. That's easy. That's, that's something. Seeing the Lord at work in the ordinary, 
that takes faith. <laughs> that takes something of trust. It takes something of perseverance. It takes something of overcoming the enemy of your soul who wants to discourage you and to paint a completely different scenario and picture for you to see it. See. So as you look for his fingerprint in the ordinary, the, the mundane, the things that happen all the time, you know, if he seems to be drying up your brook, closing one opportunity, he's opening up another one somewhere else. As Christians, we have to pay attention especially to our current opportunity because God guides us through current circumstances to connect us to future opportunities. I think I'm trying to drill this, this little line home. I'm going to keep on that. We're not done with it quite yet. Um, let's, let's talk about our friend David, the David and Goliath David. First, um, um, you know, he... he um, You'll see him in 1 Samuel 16. He was, it was, it was kind of weird for him because his family, they sent him out to chase the sheep and to take care of the sheep. He was overlooked by his family. There was going to be a coronation of a king and the family all gathered together to find out who was going to be picked and they overlooked him. Okay, so, you know, maybe you feel overlooked, but let's, uh, that's, that's a rabbit trail. I don't want to go down that one for right now. I want to talk about his circumstances. The word tells us stories about him being out with a sheep, and one day he confronts a lion. A lion. A lion. Okay, this is a young man. He's protecting the sheep. Now, maybe you've researched this, and maybe you think it's a small lion. Okay. It's a small lion. I don't really care. It's a lion. It's a wild animal with big claws, a hungry belly, big teeth, and bad intentions. And what does he do? He stands up to that thing. He stands up to it and defeats that lion. You know, there's nothing that I can find in Scripture that says that that victory was miraculous. Anyway, let's keep going. A little bit, a little bit later, it says he confronted a bear. We got those around here. We got mountain lions. I don't know what kind of a lion it was. I haven't studied that through. It might be interesting. To know. But now it's a bear. So, he stood up to a lion once. Now he's standing up to a bear. And um, he's, now he's got something extra in his heart. You don't all look all that tough compared to that lion. I can take you too. So he defeats a bear. Now this is a young man who's just protecting his sheep. His job is just to protect. He's overlooked by his family. He's just protecting his sheep. And each time, the challenge seems to be getting a little bit bigger, a little bit more challenging, a little bit stronger. One opportunity. He succeeds. He focuses on that opportunity. He moves on to the next one, a bear. Fast forward. He goes to visit his brothers one day, and there's a big scuffle going on between the nation of Israel and uh, the bad guys next door. You know, I like to paraphrase, right? right? <laughs> and there's one big bad dude standing up there taunting. His name is Goliath. And here's David thinking, you know, this is not going to be allowed to continue. This will not continue. I am not going to let you do this. This is, this, this, this is, these are the Lord's people. You will not talk that way. He goes to Saul and says, I'll take the dude on. Saul's kind of questioning. I don't know. I don't know who you are. I don't know what kind of, you know, I don't know whether you got the real, you know, what you need to get this done. And he says, listen, I took on a lion. I took on a bear. This uncircumcised Philistine is not going to stop me. Not going to do it. So Saul offers, it, offers him his, his armor. He tries it on says, no, that's just not how I roll. Not going to do that. That stopped me. 
He just does who he is and what he is. He takes care of business and down goes Goliath. One opportunity after another. Now listen, you can read into that last confrontation that he killed Goliath miraculously, but I'm not so sure about that. I'm not sure I see it there. I think he stepped out in faith. I think he stepped out in the Psalm 139 man that he was. I think that he had occasion after occasion in his life, and, and he just stepped right through his difficult circumstances, no, how, no matter how hard they were. And he came to the place. He came to the place, and he faced Goliath, and he stepped right through that opportunity as well. And all the while, the Lord is taking him. And the Lord's plan for him was to become king of his nation. And he had no idea about that when he was out there alone facing that first lion or that bear, or even probably when he was facing Goliath. I don't think that was on his mind. I think he was focusing on the moment and the faith that he had. That's how God works. He uses our current opportunity to connect us to the next one. That's why we have to pay such close attention to what's going on in our lives today. You know, that current opportunity. Here's another one I won't spend so much time on. Joseph. You awake now? My son, Joseph. (laughs) You're named for this character. This is my son, Joseph, out here in the corner. Um, He's named for this character, one of my favorite our favorite characters in the Bible, Joseph. He, um, he um, got a lot of stuff he didn't deserve. Now, he had a couple of prophetic dreams that were a pretty big deal, and when he shared them with his family, they were absolutely offensive to his family because he basically said, hey, I'm, something big stuff's going to happen to me. <laughs> you know, I'm paraphrasing again, okay, so you can look that up. But he's basically saying things that his family takes completely wrong and says, Who do you think you are? In fact, it offended his brothers so much. And his father favored him over them, which is a parenting mistake. (laughs) Says the nervous chuckle of one father. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's right. I know he loves his kids. So he's, he's... He's in this circumstance. He's made some mistakes, but there's definitely an anointing upon him. There's this Psalm 139 stuff going on in his life that's starting to shine. His brothers don't like him, so what do they do? They throw him in a well. He didn't deserve that. Then they sell him off as a slave. Off he goes to Egypt. He ends up working um, for a guy who has a lot of authority. He's accused falsely by that guy's wife all the while. All the while, his administrative powers, his, his real giftings, his real strong suits of leadership are lying dormant. He's gone from a well into slavery, into prison, all of this falsely accused, watching some of the people around him in prison, having their heads lopped off. And having their heads lopped off because of dreams, an area of which he has supernatural, he has an anointing there. Now, that story, all I've told you, those are, those are true things. They're not the miraculous The miraculous is going on in Joseph's life, to be sure. But the ordinary is going on here too. And he's got all kinds of jobs along the way that he hates. Remember we raised our hands? He hates these jobs. But they're all taking him from one place to another. And he steps through. He just holds to the man that he is, and he steps through. He focuses on his current circumstances. And ultimately, he becomes the administrator of Egypt. He becomes the second most powerful person on the planet. And because he's placed there, and he steps into and leans into his, his, his thumbprints, he ultimately saves his family physically saves them. They would have starved. He saves a lot of other people too, but he saves his family, the family through which 
the, the nation of Israel re, is born. He saves the family through which Jesus the Savior is born. He saved his family. Talk about stepping through your current opportunities to find where the Lord is taking you ultimately. He's a great example. And there are a lot of supernatural events in his life. All I just see, see is him continuing to lean into his thumbprint, into the Lord's thumbprint in his life. God's all over that story. You know, how many chances did he have to say, well, look at what's going on here. I'm in a well. God, you don't love me. <laughs> or sold as a slave. God, you have abandoned me. Or Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. It's not true. He's now in jail. There is no hope for this guy. You want to get into trouble? The wife of the head jailer, let her accuse you of something you didn't do to her husband. There's no recovery from that. Is there? I don't think so. I, I really don't. This guy, he has every right to say God doesn't love him. God has abandoned him. Where are you in my life, God? You, you're not treating me right, God. Therefore, you must not be real. He doesn't do that. In every one of those circumstances, you know, we don't know his day-to-day -day life. We get the highlights in the word of God. We don't know his day-to-day -day life. We just know this, that the Lord preserved him through those things. The Lord has this sustaining, loving intention. You know that the kinds of weight that you feel, the discouragement that you have, the challenges in your life, never, ever will exceed the capacity that the Lord has placed within you to walk through I'm not saying it's easy. Forgive me if these comments feel insensitive to you because that's not my heart. I know when you walk through pain, it can feel like nobody understands you and the people around you might not, but the Lord does. And he doesn't let anybody, he, he would never abandon a person beyond what they're capable of, of, of walking through with him, with him. I want to encourage you to resist the... Uh, Temptation to calculate whether the Lord loves you based on what's going on right now in your life. Just resist that. God guides us through current circumstances to connect us to future opportunities. It's the way of the world. And I think it's the way of the world because that's the way God works. It's not vice versa. God didn't jump on the world's bandwagon. Okay? It's the exact opposite. So if you're in a situation you'd like to be doing something else, instead of focusing on the something else, I want to encourage you and ask you, are you focusing at all on what's right there in front of you today? Um, let's take a minute and look at our scripture for the day. Um, Colossians, actually, this is, that's not all introduction, by the way. So we're further into the message than you might think. Um, Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Our friend Paul here, who's written a letter to the book at Colossae. And, and, and these, are, these are encouraging and challenging words. Verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. That word whatever, these are, these are slaves mostly he's talking to. The context here is a slave dealing with a master. Or it could be a child working with unreasonable parents. Or an employee working with a boss who fires you because their son needs a job, etc., but half of these people that he's talking to are slaves. They don't have any choices about their, about their job. In fact, the idea of complaining about their job 
is not present here. You don't see that. That's not a first century cultural artifact. You just don't see that. In fact, complaining about jobs is kind of a rich person American viewpoint. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not meaning to be insensitive to you, but they, these people didn't have jobs. They didn't have choices. It's, it's, it's our, our culture presently. You know, we, we trade about in jobs. If you, if you lose your job, there's places for you to go. You can fill out. There's unemployment. I'm not suggesting in any way that it's always easy, but this is a completely different culture that we live in than what Scripture is saying here. Way harsher are, 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 is the circumstances from which these words leap. You know, so that's what we live in the Western culture. It's not like this in most of the world. So this idea of complaining. About, so Paul is saying, no matter your condition, no matter how difficult it is, you need to fully engage with the opportunity that you have. And I think that's trans- translatable to every one of us. As if you're working for the Lord, not for men. You know, your current opportunity is the opportunity that the Lord has given you. Instead of looking at the people around you and saying, you know, I don't know why this turkey got promoted because I've worked harder and I'm way more deserve it. Or, or I, okay, I'm in a job. It's just part-time. And so I, you know, I'll just kind of tread water there for a while or, or it's just an okay job. Instead of that, if you look at the opportunity that, was, that you're in because the Lord gave it to you, trusting that he's got a plan for where he's taking you, because God guides us through current circumstances to connect us to future opportunities. So the word is to engage us with all our hearts. Engage with all your heart. And um, the second half of that scripture, I'll put it up and it's highlighted this time coming around. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance as a reward from the, from, from the Lord. An inheritance as a reward from the Lord. And, you know, Paul taught, he's basically saying here that there is an e- eternal good consequence to the way you deal with your present circumstance. It's a good consequence. Here's a quote for you. What we do in life echoes in eternity. It's from a movie. Anybody got the movie? Well done. The guy's gladiator, Maximus. Yeah. <laughs> Not that we build doctrine off of movies, but, but church, you need to know this. More than you realize, I quote movies up to you. Not, not as scripture ever do that. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Um, there are eternal ramifications to how we steward what it is the Lord is bringing along. This, the, the point here is in this is that you belong to Jesus, Christians. You were bought with a price. He is your master. Here's the context. If you were a slave in the days that Paul says these words, and your master says, go mow Terry's lawn, and you show up at my house and you mow my lawn, you're not doing it for me. You're not serving me. You're not accountable to me. You're accountable to your master. Even though he's not there, he said, go mow that guy's lawn. You go over and you mow that lawn, and who you need to please is your master. This is the one who owns you, Jesus Christ. Whatever opportunity he's given you, specifically at work we're on today, Ultimately, you're accountable to the Lord for that. In his context, you know, in, 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 backing up to where we were in the context of the moral, the sovereign, and the personal will of God, here's his moral will for you about work. Do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. That's his moral will for you. At work, do it with all your heart. 
But you ask the question, well, well, okay, but what about the next thing, Terry? What, what, what about the next thing? He cares about that too, and he'll get to that. But that's not the immediate focus. He wants you and me to fully engage the opportunity that we're in. That's his will for you. Why? Because God guides through current circumstances to connect us to future opportunities. Now, I know that there are some exceptions. Here's the problem. You don't know what's an exception in advance. You need to choose instead to lean into the thumbprint that the Lord has on in your life and trust that he's going to take you somewhere because attitude is everything. Here's Jesus' viewpoint. Leaning into the thumbprint of who he was preserved him when he was being attacked, spit on, scourged, and hung. The only way he got through those moments was because he leaned into the thumbprint the Father's plan for his life carried him through the most difficult things any human has ever had to journey. A good attitude is the only place that your heart can gain traction. The picture here would be like slippery, oily, muddy surface, and instead of having traction tires, you got slicks. You, you know, you don't, it doesn't take much horsepower, and those tires are just going to spin, and you're going nowhere. But a good attitude lets your heart gain the traction that it needs to. I'll tell you, at this moment in my preparation for today, I went off on the mother of all rabbit trails. This topic, the human attitude, begs to be preached. Not because you've got attitude problems, but because we deal with our attitude so much. You know... Um, the attitude can get our focus on the wrong things, and so I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to resist the temptation to run down that rabbit trail because we're just about to close here. But I'm going to just go for a second. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> you know, when your heart is hurting, it's hard not to focus on that pain. It's really difficult. And having a guy stand up in front and say, don't focus on the pain can seem so insensitive. Um, and I don't mean for it to be. But I can tell you this, you know, um, I'm old enough now that I've had a couple of times in my life when I bit down on something and didn't realize I had a broken tooth or a tooth with a problem until I felt the jolt. <laughs> the, oh, I didn't know until that moment that I got a problem, that I got to go to the dentist to get fixed, right? Okay, so I got a problem in my mouth. Wow, that's a sermon series. I got a problem in my mouth. <laughs> But I bit down and felt the pain, and I didn't know there was a problem there. Before. And you know what I do? The first thing I do, I stop chewing on that side. When you bite on a tooth and it hurts, you stop chewing on that side. You start focusing on getting off the painful place. Doesn't mean that you're not going to deal with the pain or find the help that you need or that the Lord won't provide for you, but you stop chewing on the hurting tooth. There comes a place where heart pain can become, it can take over our outlook. It can take over our hope. And the Lord never intended for that. That's why I say a good attitude is the only place where your heart can gain full traction. It's the, it's the choice that we make where our focus is going to be about the circumstances that we can't change. We'll go on that on another time. You know, we're back to the subject of the exception, the, super, the, the, the miraculous exception that we don't, we can't plan for. I'm not saying don't have faith in the Lord. 
But you don't, nobody makes their decisions based on the exceptions. You all wear seatbelts, right? You do. If you don't wear seatbelts, then start it, okay? But nobody sees an accident coming, and as the car is hurtling across the yellow stripe, they go, oh, here, let me put on my seatbelt now. Nobody does that. We put our seatbelt on when we get in the car. Nobody plans on the exception. And, you know, I, 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 I know the miraculous comes and it will be coming in your life. And I'm not saying don't have faith in it. I'm just saying you have circumstances today. Look for where the Lord's involved in those circumstances. Your current opportunity is the place God wants you to apply yourself with all your heart. I, 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 I've just seen people before who are just waiting for sky riding. They're just waiting for the sky riding and it never comes. So I want to ask four quick rhetorical questions and then we're going to pray. And these are going to be quick. Four quick questions. Number one, based on your current performance, would you trust you with a new opportunity? Question number two, are you preparing for the next opportunity or just holding out for management? That's another movie quote by the name, by the way. By the, by the, okay, okay. You don't get to participate, Joseph, so sorry. <laughs> so are you preparing for the next opportunity or are you just holding out for management? Okay, holding out for management, figuratively speaking, holding out for something. Three, what can you be doing right now to prepare for your next opportunity? Maybe you're in a job and you need to start reading certain books. Maybe you need to be taking some classes. Maybe you need to be tagging along with someone who can mentor you. What are you doing right now to prepare yourself for the next opportunity? Question number four. Is there an opportunity right in front of you right now that you're ignoring because either one, the money isn't what you think you deserve if you do that, or item number two, you think it's beneath you. I, I don't want to belabor the beneath you part except to say that for the first 30 years of his life, everything Joseph did was beneath him. This guy had it in him to manage the world. And everything he did before then was beneath him. So I'm just going to encourage you now to fully engage with your current opportunity because you're going to find that the Lord is usually there, almost always there, and he'll connect you. Work at it with all your heart. Are you willing to take one more shot? I'm going to pray with you, and, um, and uh, we'll go. I... Um, I feel prompted to say that this church is full of mature Christians, full of faith. And I didn't plan this until this exact moment. And that's why I paused just now. But uh, I want to pray over this topic. But I'm going to ask some of my um, experienced, seasoned, faith-filled prayer warriors who are here to make yourselves available for a few minutes to pray with people about their circumstances. In fact, um, I'm going to way go um, unexpected here. I'm going to ask for... Um, people like Tom, for the council, wives if you're available, um, to, um, okay, I'm making this up as I go. I'm going to pray, and we have a closing. Yes. So as the song, um, as, the, as the service ends, there are going to be people who will pray with you about your current circumstances. If you want someone to pray with you, please take advantage of this. John, you and Angela can pray with people. Um, Doug and Tanya, you too, would you pray with people? Stand by that door.
okay? So I'm going to pray. Let's, would you stand to your feet, church, and uh, just let me 